With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower and... We finally did it. We got through the stretch of five games in 10 days. Very brutal stretch. I mean, I was telling Megan before the show, I was exhausted at the end of that stretch. I can't even imagine how the players felt. And you could definitely see it in those last two games, Seton Hall and Georgetown. I mean, I think Georgetown in particular, they were just running on fumes. And honestly, it's probably a good thing that they played Georgetown in that game because if they played someone like DePaul or maybe even one of the higher level teams like Marquette or even Seton Hall later, they might've been in some trouble, but Georgetown really no issues, no issues with either game. Seton Hall came out fast and on Wednesday night. And I mean, there were times where Seton Hall was just running circles around UConn, but it never felt like a game that got out of UConn's control. And you always knew that they had the talent to come back and eventually win that game. And I think Seton Hall is actually a really good team and are a much better team than what the selection committee might give them credit for. But UConn is still very, very vastly superior. So there's not a whole lot to take from that win because it, it was an ugly win. But I think it's good just to see that they responded well to getting punched in the face early and did what they need to do to get the win, even if it wasn't pretty. Yeah, exactly. A really ugly first half, but from that final score, you wouldn't have maybe guessed it because they still get over 20 point win over, like you said, a good opponent, an opponent that I think adding Andre Espinosa Hunter looks a lot better right now than maybe their seed or their record would tell you that they are. So a quality win for UConn and good to see them be able to kind of go down like that and still fight their way back and come out with a handed win. It's also, I think, worth mentioning that when they played, I think, was that UConn's second game of the year down in Seton Hall, that when that happened, that was the most points UConn had given up all season long up until that Arkansas game. And then DePaul also surpassed that total in the very next game after Arkansas. But I think it was a very positive sign for the defense that they only allowed 49 points to Seton Hall, which was Seton Hall's lowest total of the year. They also held Georgetown to 40 points, which to be fair, most teams can hold Georgetown to under 50 points, but I think it's just from what we've seen from that Marquette game on, I mean, they allow 58 points at Marquette. They only give up 59 in overtime to South Carolina. And then they hold Seton Hall and Georgetown, both under 40, 50 points. I think it's also just good to see that defense continue to progress and there's actual tangible signs of it improving. Yeah, exactly. It feels like it's kind of just been locked in on a different level since that Marquette game. I also feel like a big part of that seems to be the like, Nika Mule's presence in the rotation. I think she's been really strong for them defensively, and we've seen a lot more minutes from her over the last couple of weeks. So I think that's also playing a big role in kind of some of the defensive change that we've seen. I think Nika Mule might be one of the most entertaining players 
to watch <laughs> in past it. Like not the flashiest, not the most talented, not the best. She's just very, very entertaining. Yeah, she's scrappy, which makes her fun to watch on the court. Right. And then she's also hilarious off the court, but yes. in general, just a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, like there was the video that UConn put out before the season, I think. And it was like a camera. And the question was, how do you feel about the season starting? And like Nika like pokes her head in sideways and like sticks her tongue out. And then there's another one of her like grabbing her leg and then putting her other hand behind her head. And then like, I don't even know how to describe it, but like spinning around in a circle doing whatever that was. And then oh, she had a quote a couple weeks ago. Gino had said that Nika is true to her Croatian heritage by being very stubborn. And she goes, yes, but I've heard that Italian people are very stubborn too. So I don't think he gets to say. So <laughs> like the fact that she's a freshman and is more than happy to say something like that to Gino, she's just Nika rules. There is absolutely no other way to put it. She absolutely rules. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's just a lot of fun to watch. She brings such a fun energy on the court as well. And I think we've seen that a lot over the last few games. She gets fired up. She's scrappy on defense. It's clearly having an impact on the team's defense, but it's it's just been really enjoyable to watch as well. I don't know if I've said this on here before, so I apologize if I have, but it's just also really entertaining, like how different she and Paige are because like if you like talk smack to Paige or like try and like disrespect Paige she's just gonna drain like five threes in your face and let her play do the talking whereas Nika will actually rip your throat out and attempt to murder you <laughs> and it is just a absolutely wonderful yin and yang to just a, a very nice pairing of two different players with two very different styles that are both just going to do whatever they can to win in their own way. Yeah, for sure. I feel like we've probably got some pretty fun Nika Mule technicals coming in our, our next few years here that are going to be funny to watch. But she definitely has that attitude that, yeah, she's going to get in your face if you try to talk smack to her. And it's going to be funny when someone does that. Well, it was like, it was a Tennessee game, right? Where one of the Tennessee players tried to start a fight with Aaliyah Edwards. Like, between Aaliyah and Nika, like, if a fight ever breaks out, UConn is not losing for the next four years. Like my money will be strongly on UConn in that. Yeah, agreed. We don't see a whole lot of fights in women's basketball, but if we see one, then my money's on this team. Right. Like no one's going to mess with UConn, I think is a better way to put it. Like if someone tries to mess with anyone, it is, it's just not going to end well at all for whoever tries to do it. Yeah, throw Avina in there too because I feel like she's oh, got yes. the edge as well. <laughs> yes, Avina's actually going to be the one that's leading them into battle. <laughs> Team Mom in full effect. <laughs> Team Mom, but also dark side of Team General. <laughs> that's a big one to miss, yes. She definitely would be throwing some bows out there. And then to move on to the Georgetown game, really not a ton to talk about in that game. Another kind of ugly game, but... Like I said earlier, UConn was basically just going for the break. They were trying to do whatever they could to get through into that four-day break that they've had now since that Georgetown game. They got out of there with a win, a pretty comfortable win. I don't think anything really stands out, but again, it's good to see their defense play well, and it's good, again, to see them do what they need to do to get a win against, albeit a very bad opponent, winning a game that they're supposed to win, even if it's not the prettiest. 
Yeah, exactly. I think we've seen, you know, enough games this season of top teams that are losing games that they're supposed to win. So there's still something to be said for coming out of there with a win and a comfortable one and not, you know, a three point win that they had to squeak out or anything like that. So five games in 10 days, it's a lot, but they still get the job done. And now, like you said, they've got quite a bit of a break coming into tomorrow's game or today's game by the time people are listening to this. So they got it done and that's what matters. We talk about Paige all the time on this podcast, but I think the player that, I guess the player who stands out the most, I guess is the best way to put it after these two games is Kristen Williams. So her last four games have been a very weird stretch. So against Marquette, she had 16 points against South Carolina. She had six against Seton hall. She had zero, just the third time in her career. She is only hasn't scored points in a game. And the second time that's happened this season. And then against Georgetown, she scores 19 and Gino says it's one of her best games in recent memory. I have no idea of what to make of Kristen right now. I just none. Like she is just so back and forth, volatile all over the place. I feel like I just have no sense of what player is going to show up on a given night. And I really don't know if she does either. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's just been kind of all over the place. I think one thing with Kristen is that a lot of times we see, you know, when her shots don't fall or whatever, she, she impacts the game in other areas. And I feel like in the South Carolina game and the Seton Hall game, we didn't really see that. Like she just kind of had rough outings overall, which I think, is a, a little worrisome to see. I mean, she obviously came back and had a great game against Georgetown, 19.7 rebounds, did a little bit of everything. So maybe it's just fi- falling back into that, like her finding out, you know, when she can't get her shots to fall, how does she make an impact on the rest of the floor? But it's so hard to ex- know what to expect from her at this point, which I think for UConn players, you kind of come to expect that once a player has their junior season, you kind of know what they're getting out of them night in or night out and I don't feel like we feel that way with Kristen right now right and the weird thing is that even in I think it was a Seton Hall game or maybe it was a South Carolina game they all blend together at this point (laughs) but Kristen was getting good shots and she wasn't just shooting three-pointers she was getting good looks in the mid-range she's got a really nice pull-up jumper she's got she's very good at getting the ball on the wing and then getting inside and pulling up from about midway in from the three-point line and getting those shots to fall usually And those shots weren't falling. So I wonder if maybe it's just a matter of even though she has worked to be more than just a scorer, if she doesn't see those first few balls go through the hoop, that shakes her confidence and it kind of throws her whole game off because she didn't play that poorly, at least initially. And then once the shots started to not fall, it kind of seemed to snowball and that kind of affected her entire game. So I wonder if maybe it's just a matter of if UConn can get her into a good groove early and can get her to start making easy shots and building that confidence as the game gets underway, that'll help her throughout the rest of the 35, 30 minutes, or maybe even, I don't necessarily believe this is the the move, but if these struggles continue or this inconsistency continues, maybe she might be better off coming off the bench, which is bizarre to say since she started her entire UConn career and her talent is just so evident, but maybe it'll help her confidence or maybe she would just need that for a couple games to kind of get back on solid footing. But it's just, we've seen what she can do when she's at the top of her game this season. It's, it wasn't even that long ago. It was a DePaul game. That is like, I think four or five games ago. It really is not that long ago. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't that she was just, getting those shots to fall, we could see it in the way she played. And it's just weird for her to slide back into this 
kind of daze this funk that she's in again. And hopefully the Georgetown game is a sign that things are turning around, but until I think she strings maybe three, four, even five performances together like this and doesn't have any dip. I, it's hard to say that she's really, really going to turn the ship around. Yeah, I agree. I think we just need to see the consistency in action and we haven't necessarily seen that this season, but I do think, you know, her getting a couple shots down early on does wonders for her confidence in the game. I think that's a big part about what happened in South Carolina. And then we'll see in Hall was just, I think, an overall rough game for her. But South Carolina, she, you know, struggles to hit some of those early shots and then kind of it all just falls, falls apart from there. So if she can start, you know, getting out and just getting a couple of really good looks for her first couple of shots, like run some plays through the offense for her on those early looks, get her inside, get her some mid-range jumpers that are open, things like that to get her confidence up. I think that could do a lot for this UConn team because yeah, you can take her off the bench, but I think this UConn team is better if she stays in that starting lineup and you just, you find a way to work on that confidence and get her going. Right. And you know, something that I've thought about a lot this season, haven't necessarily mentioned on the show, but it's also such a tough year and Gino kind of alluded to it yesterday in his availability but it's just a difficult year for players mentally and he says it's he feels like it affects them more and obviously like we have no idea what's going on with players behind the scenes so I think that also plays a factor in it and just the other thing is that like since we've seen it happen this year for her I never at all feel like oh this is it like she's just never gonna be what her talent level says she can be, or she's never going to be a key player for this team. She's never going to be the go-to player on this team over page or with page. I still feel like there's plenty of time for her to grow. I mean, we are in February, but there's so many games left. And then maybe even the big East tournament that could happen for some reason. I have just kind of been feeling like maybe it's all just building slowly. And even if like progress isn't linear. So to get from point A to point B, maybe she needs to go through this dip to kind of get to that peak. And we've seen, I think, this team more so than teams in years past just because of how bizarre the offseason was. I feel like there's been a pretty significant amount of development throughout the course of the season that we've seen, Kristen included in that. I think she's a much different player than she was at even the beginning of the season. So if she can just continue to build it slowly those small increments are just going to build up, build up, build up. And if she can be even just a consistent, I think 15 point score, five rebounds, three or four assists every night, that makes UConn a dramatically different team. I mean, they basically haven't had her for large chunks of the Tennessee and the Arkansas game. And she really was a non-factor against South Carolina and all those games were two of those games were wins and one of those games came down to three points. So she's probably the biggest X factor on this team being a contender for the NCAA title and probably being the favorite as the number one overall seed. I mean, we'll talk about it later, but UConn right now, if the season ended on Sunday would be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. And not that it doesn't feel deserved, but it doesn't feel like they're a step ahead of anyone else in the field at all. But if Kristen can get on her game and start to become more consistent and just get rid of the highs and lows, then I think UConn's a drastically different team with her playing at a consistent level. And I think that does probably separate them into being not clear favorite, but the favorite in the field. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the level that Kristen 
is playing on this team is going to make a huge difference. But like you said, I mean, like the season's probably been tough on everyone. There's, we don't really know what's going on off the court, but I mean, you can imagine from probably how everyone feels like right now with everything going on. It's just, it's a lot of monotony and the same day over and over again. I think Gino talked about that some in availability this week and just like how they basically, they, you know, go to the court to practice or they, they go to their rooms to go to school. There's, there's not a lot, whole lot of variation in their day. So maybe March will kind of kick things into gear for her too, because there'll be a little bit of variation if they go into something like a conference tournament and then the NCAA tournament, it's, I mean, still going to be probably a lot of basketball and being in a hotel room doing school, but it's at least a change of the scenery, change of, change of pace a little bit. So maybe that'll be enough to kind of kick her into gear and kind of activate that slow growth into what you kind of really will probably hope for her to be come tournament time. Right. And I think there's also just such a different feel of not just NCAA tournament, but even conference tournament games. I mean, you've been to Bohegan Sun for the AAC tournament in years past and to the NCAA tournament games. There's just such a distinctive difference in those games, even against the crappy teams, like in the quarterfinals of the eight, the conference tournament or those 16 versus one or 15 versus two games, the first round of the NCAA tournament, those are still just distinctively different. And there's always such a clear difference in the energy level that I think that helps too. And for a team that Gino's talked about all year, he struggled to get them going. Like you said, maybe that is the kickstart that not just Kristen needs, but the whole team needs to get going quicker. And I think it's just at this point in the season, you're not going to get challenged at all. And even once you get to the Big East tournament, I really just don't see any Big East team posing a whole lot of a challenge to them. So I think it's important to just, again, continue slowly working on things and continue slowly building it and get your weaknesses to a point where they're manageable by the tournament and then get your strengths to a point where they're very, very strong. And then you just kind of throw it out there and let it, let's see where it falls and see who you play in the tournament. I mean, with how weird this regular season's been, it wouldn't surprise me if UConn gets to the final four and ends up playing like a seven seed or like a nine seed, like something weird like that, where a team just goes on a run. Maybe UConn doesn't have that tough of a road to a national championship just because of how many upsets there have been. Or on the flip side, maybe UConn has a significantly harder road to the final four because of how difficult the season's been. So I think there's not much time left in the season. I mean, it's less than a month at this point, but it still feels like there's so much time for this team to continue to grow and develop with how many games they have left on the schedule. And from where they started the season to where they are now, I still feel like they're going to be a pretty different team by the time we get to March. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think it's part of like they started later. So it, it feels like I can't believe that March is almost here, but it also feels like they have a lot of time and they do. I mean, they've paid what, like, one. I'm not going to do the math right now, but I, they probably still have like a fifth of their season left in terms of games. So there, there is still a fair amount of time left for them to work on things. And they've got an easier run, some more rest time in kind of this coming stretch of games to round out the season. So they'd have time to work on things in practice and then apply them in games in kind of less pressure situations because you've got easier opponents coming up. So it'll be interesting to see. But like you said, I agree. I don't, I think this is going to be a different team come conference tournament and NCAA tournament time than it is right now just like it's a I mean a different team than we saw at Arkansas less than three weeks ago yeah well first off time no longer exists time stopped existing (laughs) uh, maybe like a month 
from this time last year, time just completely yeah. <laughs> ceased to exist. But uh, to go to your point, UConn's played 17 games this season. There's five left in the regular season, assuming that away game at Providence and that home game against Villanova don't happen, which right now it doesn't really look like they are going to happen. And then you account for probably three Big East tournament games, assuming, again, that happens, which I'm a little skeptical about that too. I I just don't see the risk-reward being high, worth it for UConn. But, so just pretending the schedule happens as it is, which is a big assumption, and assuming UConn wins that Big East tournament, that's eight games to the NCAA tournament, which is almost pretty much exactly a third of the season. So, yeah, it's pretty wild that we're in – February and there's still a third of the season to go just because of how thin the schedule was up until late January and then how busy it's been since then. So, yeah, I mean, Arkansas seems like a lifetime ago with this team and even the freshmen kind of had a dip in the middle of the season and they kind of seem to have pushed through it. So it's, I think it's going to be a very, very fascinating final eight games until the NCAA tournament, even though I don't think any of them will probably be decided by single digits. Right, yeah, and the final score, they're probably not going to be very interesting games. I mean, that the Marquette game at home should at least be a, a good test for them going into kind of with the current tournament team going into March. But yeah, probably easy opponents, not enticing final scores. But I'm interested to see kind of just what we see from this team and how things change over the next few weeks. Right, well, the one thing that hasn't changed, Paige Becker's still actually pretty <laughs> good at basketball. Who could have guessed that one so for the second week in a row she's been named the big east player and freshman of the week when she did that last week she was the third player in yukon history to win both the conference player and rookie of the week maya moore did it kristen williams did it Paige beggars has now done it twice and just the completely amazing fact is that she is the only player not only in yukon history but in big east history to do that twice to win the big east player and rookie of the week twice. And you consider not only all the players that UConn's had, all the players UConn's had, but just some of the players that have come through the Big East from, I mean, Notre Dame in particular, all the talent they had come through. Just There's been so many great women's basketball players in the Big East. And Paige Beckers is the only one to win this weekly award twice, which granted is not the best measure of success, but I think it just is another thing that kind of underlines how special she's been this season. Yeah, exactly. Like I think, I mean, looking at the Big East right now, stuff maybe doesn't say a whole lot, but it, it does say something about just how good she's been. And I mean, just another accolade to add to how she's putting together clearly one of the best freshman seasons in UConn history, which is obviously something notable considering the number of great players that have come through UConn. So Another thing to add to that list and impressive still, even though the biggest isn't necessarily what it used to be with Notre Dame and stuff. I think it's still really impressive for her to be the first player in conference history to string together doing that twice and then doing it also in back-to-back weeks. Right. So, I mean, she's basically, they should just name the Big East player or rookie of the week award after her at this point, because I think she's only won it all, but like two weeks that UConn's actually played a game or something just stupid like that. So I think it's pretty safe to say she's going to win the beast freshman of the year, rookie of the year, whatever you call it. I feel like she also has to have a pretty good chance at the biggest player of the year too. I, I don't think there are many people competing for that, 
But I think the combination of just how good she is and her numbers on the fact that she's on the best team and the best player on the best team, she's got, if she's not maybe the favorite right now, I, I think it's a pretty short list of people that are going to be in contention for that award. And she's definitely on it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she should just win it. Let's, let's be real. I mean, she's in yeah. contention for national player of the year. There's not another player in the biggies that you're going to talk about in the national player of the year race. So Paige is the biggest player of the year, probably. I mean, there's not to say there's not other great players in the biggies and players that are going to be on that first team that are really, really good. But I just, I don't think anyone's playing on the level that Paige is playing. Right. So just to, kind of look at what this what what the field looks like probably selena lot from marquette who i think it's also kind of telling yukon completely shut down in that game against marquette which i don't really think helps her case and then maddie segrist who won big east freshman of the year last year and earlier in the year just had an absolute monopoly on the big east player of the week you could probably point to a couple other players maybe like sonia morris from depaul or Maybe one of the St. John's players, but I I think it really kind of comes down to those three, Seagrist, Page, and Lot. Yeah, I feel like Seagrist is going to be hurt by the fact that Nova hasn't played a ton of games. They're still at, I think, nine Big East games on the season, and of course they've got more scheduled, but they've, they've had a tough run with some of the COVID protocols and COVID cases, so they haven't played a ton of games. Selena Lot is really good. I mean, she's I've seen her on draft boards even in the first round a couple times. She's going to get drafted. And she is really good, but I just I still don't think she's playing at the level that Paige Beckers is playing right now. And I think UConn shutting her down kind of shows that. Right. So probably Paige wins player of the year. Definitely going to be on the first team, all Big East, obviously. Then you kind of look at the rest of UConn's roster, and obviously they're the best team in the conference by a mile. So feels like Olivia Nelson Adota would probably be number the number two player this season, even despite her inconsistencies. She's still been, been pretty solid for the most part. I feel like she's probably right on that edge of being a first-team player and a second-team player, and maybe it just shakes out on how she finishes the season and how some other players finish the season, right? Yeah, I kind of feel like she probably makes that first-team list. Um I feel like a lot of the times that we've seen her have down games haven't necessarily been in Big East play. Like we saw her have rough game against Tennessee or against Arkansas, but those don't count for the Big East player awards. So I think in Big East play, I mean, she's had a couple down games, but she's been overall pretty solid for UConn. So I think there's a fairly good chance that she ends up on that list. I think maybe there's an argument that instead, you know, kind of those, those three players we already talked about and then a Seton Hall player makes it onto that list instead. But I would be kind of surprised to see her not fall on that first team list. Right. And then besides her, I feel like Avina would probably be the only one else. The only other player that's kind of in talk for an all conference team and kind of in the same vein with Liv. I feel like she falls somewhere in between that second team and honorable mention line, probably leaning towards second team, right? Yeah, I think I'd have her on second team. I think there's a handful of players that are in contention for that first team, but then I feel like Avita is a pretty clear choice for a second team. I think there's a bit of a drop-off, and we've talked about a handful. And then you've got, you know, Correa from St. John's, Church also from DePaul, but I think we've kind of talked on a lot of the, the big, and then, you know, two from Seton Hall. But I would be shocked to see Avita not make that second team list. For the all-freshman team, I imagine Paige isn't eligible if she makes the first team, right? I assume that's how those things I, work. 
I don't remember how it works, to be honest. I, uh, well, I can't remember if they do it that way. I feel like some conferences do it that way and some conferences do it like if you make first team, then you're, or if you make, if you're freshman of the year, you're also on first team. Right. Well, either way, like, I think Aaliyah is probably pretty comfortably on freshman of the year. I think Nika probably has a pretty good chance to make it there as well. I mean, how many standout freshmen really are there in the conferences here? I don't think there's a whole lot, especially not at the level of someone like Aaliyah or even, or even Nika, but maybe just Nika gets hurt by the fact that her impact isn't necessarily always in the stat line, but is just in the way she plays and what she does for the team that way. That's the only reason I could see Nika maybe not making it or, how slow she got off to a start, but I mean, I think she's deserving of it and it's just a question of whether or not she gets it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I mean, I just, even with her stat line, like I was still kind of hard pressed to see, not see her on that list because she makes an impact and outside of UConn players, there's still only three play, three other freshmen in the conference are scoring more points per game than she is. So like even with not having a good stat line there's just not a lot of competition I feel like in the Big East in terms of kind of freshmen this season so I would be pretty shocked just I mean maybe they want to spread the wealth a little bit but it it feels like a pretty obvious answer to have you've got three UConn freshmen or two if Paige isn't eligible for the team that are clearly impacting their team's performance and I don't really know that there's that much to say about the rest of the conference right and I think I'm also a little remembering back to the AAC where it felt like those last few years, the coaches kind of started punishing UConn players for being UConn players and were trying to spread the wealth around a little too much. It kind of felt like UConn got a little hard done on some of those postseason teams just because they were UConn and they wanted to give it to players who weren't on UConn necessarily, but maybe that's different in the big East or at least in UConn's first year in the big East where people are still happy that they're here and not yet fully annoyed that they're losing every single game by 50 to UConn. So, yeah, I think if any year UConn's going to land a ton of people on these all-conference lists, it's probably this year. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think they have a very fair argument for it on the, the freshman list. I think, you know, on the, the all-conference teams, there are a lot of other good players in the conference and players that are seniors and stuff that people are going to want to recognize, but in the freshman list it just there's really not a lot of other players that are dumping off off the page of like yes you have to put them out on the all freshman team right so you mentioned a little earlier but Paige is definitely in the national player of the year conversation it's it's the same thing with the biggies player of the year where it doesn't really feel like there's a whole lot of people that are really at that level not like Nafisa Collier senior year where like as much as we've talked about how hard how screwed she got that season which to be fair, she was, but there also were just a lot of really good players in the country that season. And not to say there aren't a lot of good players in the country this year, but for clear standout best in the country, I really feel like that list is pretty short. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's kind of, it's pretty open still, but it's it's dwindled this way to a handful of players. I think Paige is definitely on that list. You've got Dana Evans from Louisville, um, Olia Boston from South Carolina, Ryan Howard from Kentucky. I'm missing people. Nass Hillman from Michigan. I like want to throw a Stanford player in the mix because they're very good, but I don't think there's really anyone that's kind of stood out from Stanford's perspective. I think maybe Michaela Anuari from UCLA is on that list, on that short list. But yeah, there's, there's, the list is certainly shrinking and shrinking quickly, but I think Paige is very much in contention for that. Do you think 
Tara Vanderveer is going to throw a fit that none of her players get enough respect, even though they're one of the top teams in the country, unlike another coach from last season? <laughs> I don't think Tara Vanderveer is going to throw a fit, and I think it's just because she has a lot of very good players and not, you know, any the best in the country great players this season which is fine it's a good way to win games right having a lot of really good players wins games but um yeah no i don't see tara vanderveer throwing a fit <laughs> right it's it's almost like having a good team doesn't necessarily mean you have standout players which is perfectly okay but just some coaches don't understand that Gee, i wonder <laughs> who we're talking about <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Anyways... Also, that probably like those names that you mentioned are a pretty solid shortlist for the All-American slots, too. I mean, I think at this point, it would probably be a pretty major shock if Paige doesn't make first team All-American, really, because I don't know what everyone else is doing. But with her, she's just getting better and better as the season's going on. And it's not like she's going to be kind of slowly making her way into March. I mean, she's. I, she's going to have another huge performance throughout the end of the regular season before the voting closes. So I just can't imagine she doesn't land on it. Yeah. To me, I mean, her numbers are there for sure. She's clearly, I mean, she's the best player by far on the best team in the country. We're well, you can decide if you can't the best team in the country, they're the number one team in the country right now. So she's the best player on one of the best teams She's one of two players in the country that's like top 10 in winters and winters per 40, which isn't a perfect stat, but it's probably the best like one number stat to look at what impact the player is having for their team and how, how well they're playing. So I, if she's not an All-American, I'm going to be first team All-American. I would be very surprised. Yeah. Unless obviously something happens throughout the end of the season. And then aside from her, I feel like, anyone else on UConn is going to have trouble even getting honorable mention. Like maybe Nelson Adota gets honorable mention. Did she get honorable mention last year? I don't think she did. Right. It was just crystal. Like Meg got first yeah. team and then crystal got honorable mention. If I'm remembering right. Yeah. I think that's all that there was last year. And to be honest, like, I don't feel like Liv is playing at a level to, I mean, maybe she steps it up big time over the next few games, but to me, it doesn't feel like she's playing at a level that deserves and, all-American honorable mention at this point there's a, a lot of good players in the country right now and she's just she's another good player she's not I think someone that's kind of standing out and making a real case for herself to be on the short list to be in consideration for that right now I agree with you you just mentioned it but we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet UConn 
unsurprisingly is number one in the country after beating South Carolina last week and not blowing it against Seton Hall or Georgetown. I think the crazy thing is they've been number one in the country at some point in nine of the last seasons and also in 21 of the last 26 years. Like the, the fact that at some point, I mean, last year they kind of fell backwards into it. They didn't deserve it by any means and they quickly showed that, but they still were there at one point. It just, it's just, there's just so many different like ways. I feel like we have another stat every single week that just talks about how crazy UConn's success has been since 1995. Like it's just unbelievable. And I don't think you, unlike last year, I don't think UConn doesn't deserve to be number one. I think just the way the season's fallen and the way other teams have lost. I mean, compared to everyone else in the country, UConn really doesn't have a bad loss. Well, I guess South Carolina doesn't have a bad loss either. They lost to NC state and UConn. But UConn's only lost one game and doesn't have a bad loss. I mean, Arkansas is a ranked team. Arkansas is a solid opponent. It was on the road, and especially after beating South Carolina. I think UConn deserves it. Yeah, I feel like they earned it. I don't feel like it's like last year where they kind of just like fell into it because they hadn't played anyone, but they also hadn't lost. So all of a sudden they were the number one team. I, I feel like you no, know, they got the big win to earn the spot there. But I think it still all just comes back to like – everyone is not that great this year and I feel like everyone's kind of stumbled a little bit there's not a team that's still standing out to me as being like clear best team in the country and you kind of has that number one spot right now but I don't think it in any mean means that they're you know leaps and bounds ahead of the number two or the number six or any other team also South Carolina still got two first place votes which is just absolutely ridiculous like the entire purpose of the AP poll is to rank who the current best team in, is in the country. And you cannot make an argument that South Carolina is still a better team than UConn when they lost. Like it wasn't like UConn played horribly in that game or like South Carolina played horribly in that game. And UConn just got them out a bad night. Like UConn legitimately beat them just like a couple weeks ago, Arkansas just beat UConn. Like it wasn't like one team. It wasn't like you can fault, south carolina for losing they just got bested and i don't know are you arguing that south carolina should have finished one of those shots at the buzzer and that would have given them the win then you can throw right back that well south carolina shouldn't have hit a half court shot at halftime to be within three points like those are three points right there so like it's just kind of i just absolutely can't believe anyone still had south carolina number one after they lost to the number two team in the country it's just ridiculous uh, to me, I don't know. I, I can see the argument for South Carolina to be number one still. I think when you look at that game, right, it goes to overtime. It's pretty much back and forth all the way through. If you play that game 10 times, I, like, I'm not convinced that, you know, either team has a handed edge, right? Like UConn might win five of them and South Carolina wins five of them. They're probably pretty evenly matched teams. And I think what people are giving South Carolina, the, I mean, it was only two votes, but the people that are giving South Carolina the edge are, maybe not overweighting the over that head-to-head game and looking at the fact that South Carolina is still undefeated in the SEC and the SEC is really, really good. They have five teams in that. We're going to get to that bracket reveal in a minute, but the, they released the top 16 seeds on Monday night. SEC has five teams in that and South Carolina hasn't lost a game in the SEC and the only two games that they've lost have been to UConn and to NC State, which are, you know, top five-ish opponents. So I don't know. I think it's pretty pretty evenly matched. I think you could argue your way into either team being the number one team in the country. I think the default is to put UConn there because they just beat South Carolina. But 
I don't, I mean, like, did UConn win that game? Absolutely. But I don't know that it necessarily means that UConn's like a better team than South Carolina. But I think that's against the whole purpose of what the AP poll is. The AP poll isn't a poll to try and determine who the best team in the country is. Like the big criticism with the college football playoff rankings is that they're not basing their results totally off what's happening week to week. They're trying to find who the best teams in the country are. But I don't think that's what the AP poll is. I think the AP poll is supposed to be who's currently the best team in the country. And if you lose a game to the team that's ahead of you, especially in a one-two matchup, I just don't understand how you can hang on to that spot because you have a chance to prove that you're the better team and you can't do it. And yeah, like it, it was an overtime game and it was close. And I think it's probably, if not UConn wins five and five, it's probably UConn wins six out of four because they're at home and whatever difference there is, there is a difference of being at home, but yeah, UConn by no means wins that game every single time if they play 10 times. But I just feel like the whole purpose of having a poll is thrown out the window. If, a one versus two team faces off and number two beats number one and you don't flip it unless like it's some situation where like the number one team is 15 and Owen has wins over the top five teams and they play number two who has like three losses or something. And like number one is still very clearly number one, but I don't think you can make an argument that South Carolina is still very clearly number one when the two teams are so close and UConn gets the win. Like, I just feel like that goes against what the poll is supposed to be about. Yeah, I guess. so. I don't know. To me, I feel like it's not so crystal clear because I think, you know, like, I don't think there's a clear better team coming out of that, that game. Like, UConn gets the win. But I think my takeaway from that game is you were looking at two pretty evenly matched teams. And yeah, South Carolina doesn't have, like, wins over the top five or something. But I think just the wins that they have in the SEC right now in a year where I don't know. I feel like the whole top 25, someone could beat someone else kind of any given night. I think we've seen that with UConn losing to Arkansas that, you know, team in the 15s, 20s might be a team at the top in any given night. So I I feel like looking at how much South Carolina has has wins in the SEC, I, I can understand the argument for putting them first. And maybe that's more of a bracketing thing, which we're going to get to in a minute. But I think there's an argument either way. Right. Well, let's get into the bracket because that also did tell us some things so the ncaa revealed its top 16 so what the top 16 seeds would be in the tournament if the tournament if the season ended on sunday even though they put it out on monday and said if the season started today so it's off of sunday one seeds yukon is the number one overall seed followed by in order south carolina stanford and louisville it's pretty reasonable second seeds in order again all of these will be in order texas a&m nc state maryland and arizona Three seeds, UCLA, Baylor, Oregon, Georgia. Four seeds, Tennessee, West Virginia, Indiana, Kentucky. Biggest takeaways, obviously, UConn's number one, which it feels like that's a spot they're going to hold on to as long as they don't lose a Big East game the rest of the way. I can't imagine they fall out simply because of their schedule. I actually think there's a chance they fall out because of their schedule because I think when it comes to bracketing, you're looking more at the resume. So while UConn really only has an opportunity to go down, basically here because if they lose they will go down I think South Carolina has the opportunity to kind of rack up some big wins they have to play Texas A&M still a big win over I think if you know South Carolina beats Texas A&M that's right now scheduled to be their last game of the regular season I think that could put them into that number one seed overall seed spot yeah that's fair well one thing I thought about with this not totally related to UConn being the number one overall seed but oh man I have completely lost concept of my years uh it was (laughs) 
two years ago, the last, I think the last NCAA tournament they had where UConn was the number two team in the, it was a number two seed, even though they only lost to Louisville and Baylor that season. And like the chair of the committee said like UConn's strength of schedule just wasn't good enough when their strength of schedule was better than Mississippi state who got a one (laughs) seed, which was extremely bizarre. But even still, I think it is, I I can't help but feel like the big, like if this exact season happens in the AAC and UConn only plays AAC teams and non-conference remains the same and they beat, let's pretend DePaul still gets thrown in as a non-conference game somewhere and they lose to Arkansas. I kind of have a hard time feeling like UConn's still a number one seed in that situation. I mean, they had such a small margin for error that it, was pretty much proven that unless you win every single game in the AAC and like go undefeated into the NCAA tournament, UConn is going to be a, isn't going to be a one seed unless it's a really weak season. Whereas they've only played big East games besides three ranked teams. Only one of those were even in the top five, top 10, even. Oh wait, no, they've, I keep, I always forget that DePaul is ranked. Just DePaul doesn't count as a ranked team. And I hate that I hate to count them because it just, it doesn't make sense. They're not a ranked team to UConn, but okay. UConn's played five ranked teams then. That feels like they wouldn't play that many if they were in the AAC. Although I guess USF is there. Well, either way, I still feel like UConn wouldn't be the number one overall seed if they were in the AAC. Yet. That is the point that I took a very long and winding path to get to. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I think if you're look if you're in the AAC right now, you you are not the number one overall seed. So the Big East has definitely had a positive impact for them here. Whether they hold on to it, I don't know. Does it really matter? I don't know. Like they're gonna, I think they're pretty firmly, unless they like lose some game that they should absolutely not lose coming down the stretch here, they're going to be a number one seed. Are they going to be the number one overall, the number two overall? I don't know. But I, they're, as long as they don't lose a game, they're either the number one or number two overall going into the tournament. So they also brought out a bracket for those 16 seeds. And I feel like it might actually be beneficial for you kind of drop out of that number one seed because their top four other seeds in the bracket would be Arizona at number two, Baylor at number three and Tennessee at number four. And though it would be very great to see UConn and Tennessee play again in the NCAA tournament. And I also feel like that regular season matchup wasn't really a great indicator. I thought, I still feel like if UConn played Tennessee again, it wouldn't come down to the wire. I think UConn would probably win that more easily, but having Baylor in your bracket still feels pretty tough. Even if they're maybe not at the level that they were before, like just looking at that, that region of the bracket, it feels like it's a bit of a tough draw for UConn as the number one overall seed. Yeah. To me, Baylor as the number three was probably the most surprising thing out of this reveal I expected to see them on the two line I was pretty shocked that they were on the three line in 10th overall I mean there's still time for that to change though it doesn't really feel like they're moving that far up unless other people lose based on their schedule I I don't take too much stock in like what region teams are in right now though because I mean it could have been irrelevant after like 30 minutes after this was released last night and Stanford squeaked out the win over Oregon but this stuff is all gonna change so I mean, you can pretty much firmly say that UConn and South Carolina are on that one line, barring something crazy happening at this point. But outside of that, I think, you know, come March, this is going to look very different than it looks right now. Right. Well, 
just kind of unrelated, but I think it's pretty awesome that Oregon is the number 11 team in the NCAA's eyes right now and are a three seed considering you lose literally the player that single-handedly built your program and you're not maybe necessarily a top five team like you were last year, but you're still a really good team. And if you're rebuilding quote using quotes year where you lose that generational player means that you drop from the number two team in the country to the number 11 team in the country. I mean, Kelly Graves has got a good thing going out there. Yeah, they're de- they're definitely a team that's going to be a contender kind of going forward. I think he's building a, a solid program. I've obviously, obviously got a lot of really good players this year, and a lot of them are young too, so I think they're only going to get better from here. Right, so interesting to see. And like you said, it's, it's probably going to be all different by the end of the season. But yeah, I think at least comfortably if UConn doesn't lose any games the rest of the year, they're going to be on the one line, which I remember, I I can't remember who it was. It might've been Russ Steinberg at, I think it was the next that did a bracket and like UConn yeah. was a number three seed at one point in which I don't remember when it was. I, it might've been justified. I don't know. I didn't like look at it too closely, but I was just like, I quickly looked at it to see where UConn was and to see UConn as a three seed is just such an unfathomable thought. And I mean, I think last year UConn would have been a two seed, right? It's annoying that the NCAA never revealed what the, or at least what the women's top rankings or whatever would have been unlike what the men's team did. But I know there was talk at the end of the year that the women might get bumped down to a three, but I think they eventually worked their way into a two, right? Yeah. I think they were probably pretty firmly on the two line last season. They didn't have a chance to make it onto the one would have firmly been on the two line last year. I don't think they would have fall into that three they might have been towards the bottom of that two line and had to you know fly out and play Oregon but I think um they would have been on that second line another thing to just look forward to it'll be weird we haven't had a normal selection Monday in like three years because the last one that we had was when the bracket leaked right they leaked it accidentally on yep (laughs) on some show on ESPN before so it was out ahead of time oh my god that day was chaos that day was yeah, total just like utter what a mess. chaos. <laughs> it was something like they moved the bracket show up, right? They had moved it up to like six or something, but then it was like noon. And it was like the middle of the workday, I remember. And then all of a sudden people were like leaking the entire bracket on Twitter because it had accidentally been leaked on like the sidebar of some like afternoon ESPN programming. Well, I think like whatever time it was supposed to be, I think they like seriously moved it up to like three or something. It was a very early time because I remember we got like, I want to say we got like 45 minutes to get to Gamble from wherever we were. Like we got extremely short notice that we had to be at Gamble at X time for the like post bracket availability when we were all planning on six or seven or whatever it was. It was like absolutely crazy what however it happened I every now and then I remember that that happened it was just absolutely a crazy day yeah I don't know why I like have a very distinct memory of that as well I remember I was sitting in a conference room in New Jersey at a client and like my phone started (laughs) blowing up and I was like what's going on but um day job problems but yeah uh very weird and then of course last year there was no bracket so I think I was on I mean that was my junior year I think yeah so I think I was on spring break. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was on spring break. So I was home, not on campus like I normally would have been, which made getting back to campus that much crazier. 
And I think I was literally just like watching something on TV and I just like scrolled through my phone and all of a sudden, like people are talking about the brackets out. And like, there was this very bizarre, like, I don't remember how long it was. I feel like it was 10 or 15 minutes, but it might've been longer where people weren't actually sure if it was the real bracket. And then somehow like someone figured out that it was the real thing because someone, something wasn't like what it should have been, man. There needs to be an oral history of what happened with that. Cause that was like, <laughs> just the fact that it happened is crazy. Yeah. Well, so wasn't bad. that an issue with the men's? Am I wrong? Like, wasn't the men's like leaking beforehand because their friggin' selection show was so stupid long? I can't remember that, but I wouldn't be surprised because their selection show is ridiculously long. It's like, come on, wrap it up. Already. I think it's like an hour. <laughs> I seriously think yeah. it's like an hour. It's insane. Yeah, I think like they had a problem where like people were just leaking the bracket during the show. So they like 10 minutes into the show, you could see like what the entire bracket was. So I think that actually prompted CBS to make their or TNT. I don't remember who does the men's bracket show because we haven't had to watch one in a while for. (laughs) But like this year, though. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. But I think like they actually did make their bracket show shorter again, or they like they revealed the entire bracket at the beginning so that it couldn't get leaked anymore. Which great job, internet! Like not often that leaking things like that ends up like going well, but that one actually worked out. Yeah, no one wants to watch an hour about the bracket before seeing the bracket. People just want to see the bracket, and then I'll probably half listen to what you have to say about it afterwards. But I really just want to see it. That was also like one of the most hilarious availabilities I think we've ever had because UConn was so mad that they were the number two seed. They were like as angry as I have ever seen a collection of UConn players. Like Katie Lou Samuelson posted the quote that was like, keep your head higher, but your middle finger, like keep your head high, but your middle finger higher. And someone asked her about it. She's like, yeah, I just like the quote. And (laughs) I think I wrote a whole story on it, but that just feels like so ancient ago. But again, just (laughs) utter insanity. Yeah, I remember like after they won that the final or the elite eight game too and to go to the final four like i think there was quite a few pictures with some peace signs in it for being the number two seed it was was pretty funny they were pretty mad about it which i mean rightfully so they had a pretty fair case to be a number one seed in that bracket well i think um so i remember someone posted like shout out to the selection committee and they were all it was uh that was i think it was nafisa Yeah, that was incredible. Well, and the funniest thing is like the team that got screwed the most out of all of that was Louisville. Yep. (laughs) Louisville had no, like Louisville not only had to play UConn, they had to basically go on the road to play UConn by playing in Albany. Like if you're going to pull that, at least send Mississippi State to Albany to like have the two, two essentially number one seeds duel it out. Like Mississippi's or Louisville got such a hard draw from that. Yeah, because of the geography thing, which, yeah, unfortunate for them that they've had to do that, but it is what it is, I guess. But yeah. It's going to be very, <laughs> that at least won't happening. be a thing this year because there's, right. everyone's going to Texas. <laughs> well, someone mentioned that may, they might do a thing where, like, the top, the top, uh, like the number one overall seed or something their like initial games since everything's going to be in San Antonio, but the final fours in the Alamo dome, which is gigantic. It's like, it's going to be like one of the men's final fours where they play it in a football stadium right. that the top seed might get rewarded by playing the entire thing in the Alamo dome. So they get used to 
like the raised floor and the bizarre, I guess, optics behind the basket. Like you remember the, uh, you remember the UConn championship against Butler where <laughs> no one could make a shot and everyone was blaming them playing in the giant dome. Where was that? That was Houston. Yeah. So they were playing in Reliance stadium, a football stadium. So there was talk about maybe giving a top seed an advantage like that. I don't know if that's actually a thing, but it's at least like some sort of, I not home court advantage, but an advantage. Yeah, I mean, it's an advantage, but I don't think it's a, as big of an advantage as like, you know, UConn playing in Albany with the home crowd. So uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see if that gonna, plays out that much for the number one overall seed, but I, I don't think it's as big of a deal. It is going to be really weird not like actually being at Gamble for the NCAA tournament. Like that's such a staple of the season. It's like, okay, well, like have the regular season and then we all head down to Mohegan for the conference tournament and we spend three days there and by the end of it you're exhausted but there's really good food so it's fine and then you get like two weeks off or like a week off and then you get at least two games at Gamble and then you spend four days bored out of your friggin' mind in Albany like (laughs) like it's just the NCAA tournament games are just always so much fun to cover because of just the energy around it. And there's so many more people covering it and you can just feel the importance of it. And it sucks that it's just all going to be through zoom. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to that. And in one way, some ways it'll be cool because like, well, for someone that like covers national for hoops, that's like you a bit to kind of talk to a lot of different teams and be able to cover more than you normally would be able to. But yeah, it's just not going to be the same through zoom. It's kind of disappointing. And also it's just, generally disappointing that it's like a really good final four location for a second year in a row when we don't get to go and then it kind of goes back to not as good locations <laughs> i think we've talked about this right like come on yeah, you get I, yeah. new orleans and san antonio and those are the ones yeah. that don't happen but we have yeah, to have every sucks. other final four in friggin tampa tampa sucks tampa wish- is the worst city it is the worst city like i just don't understand <laughs> like Okay, like, first off, Florida is, like, severely overrelated, but also, like, there's just, like, really nothing in Tampa. Like, oh, you want to go to the beach? Okay. That is a clear 30 miles away. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Downtown Tampa, you can walk along the river, but once you've done that, once you've done it, like, I guess the like the food is fine. Like I, yeah. I honestly thought the food in Columbus was 10 times better. Like there were so many more options. Columbus rocked. I think I've talked about this before, but Columbus yeah. absolutely rocked for the final four and it should be there way more than it's in Tampa. Yeah. I didn't love Columbus, but it was still better than Tampa. I think, I think my peak Tampa was experienced. So I covered the championship game, but I, I just went to, with my mom to the, the semifinal game that UConn lost. And we were trying to go get a drink with like our two friends after the game. And we could not find an open bar for like two miles from the stadium. Oh what kind God. of city has a sporting event as and there's no open bars within like two miles of your stadium. It, it's, it's just baffling. Anyway. So yeah, I, Columbus did not have that problem. There was plenty of bars in that town. So, um, well, yeah. like, Columbus was awesome because like Ohio state was in the city, but it wasn't in the city. So like if you didn't go to Columbus or you haven't been to Columbus, there's like true downtown, which is where the arena is. And then there's this road, I think it's called like short North that has literally every single type of restaurant you can imagine on it. Literally every single type it, like I ate, I didn't eat at a single chain restaurant that entire time we had a, a like an airbnb in what was called victorian village so it was literally walking distance from short north like ohio state is just close enough where you're near it but it's not like it doesn't 
take over the entire area, but there's enough stuff going on that like, there's plenty of things to go do. Like, that's what I loved about Columbus is like everything in the city more or less was walking distance. Like I walked to, I think the championship game, like got food on my way there, like continued on. Like, uh, I, Columbus was great. I thoroughly enjoyed myself in Columbus and I like, I mean, Tampa was fine. We just had a bad hotel location. We were across the bay in like on the Clearwater St. Petersburg line, but there was literally nothing where we were. So to get into Tampa, it was literally like 20 minutes. Like the, the bay in Tampa is gigantic. I think it's like a 15 mile bridge that you have to go across. So it's like $40 to Uber in and out of like Tampa, or it was like $40 to Uber to the beach, or it was like $40 to Uber to St. <laughs> Petersburg where we were. So like really couldn't do a whole lot. Unlike Columbus where we, we could walk. I will say I, we went to St. Petersburg one game. We went to a Rowdies game when Hartford Athletic was playing there. And St. Peter's, Petersburg actually seemed pretty cool because like after the game, the bars were open and it's all like street bars. So like you could literally just walk oh, off the cool. street and like sit down. So like, I'm not a person that goes out, but I very much wish I had someone to go out with in St. Petersburg, like instead of Tampa. Yeah. That sounds cool. I mean, like, even if you're not trying to go out though, it's just like the, as a city to like not have food or drink venues that are open right outside of your arena. Like you shouldn't have to walk miles to try to find some place to get a drink after a game. Right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, right. we can rest my case on Tampa now, but yeah, not a fan of Tampa. <laughs> well, next year is what? Minneapolis, right? Yeah. Which will be cool. It's just going to be cold. Right. I, I have heard very good things about Minneapolis. Yeah, I'm actually excited for it. I've heard great things about the city. I've never been, so looking forward to that. But yeah, it'll just be cold. But they have tunnels that connect everything, so it should be fine. I'm honestly kind of hyped to see that. Like, it's not like we're covering a Super Bowl, which is in mid-February or early February. Like, we honestly have, like, April isn't going to be great weather, but I don't think it'll be terrible. Like, even if it's like, I don't know, 40s or 30s even, like, that's something we can live with. Right, right. You're not going to be like absolutely frigid i don't think you could pay me to go to like a super bowl in minneapolis well it's a super bowl so you probably could but it's, it's way too cold there in February. <laughs> right yeah where are the final fours after that i'm looking it up now i know like tampa is phoenix literally is like every other year oh i yeah, i'm excited i'm excited for phoenix. for phoenix phoenix is cool phoenix is a cool city that's a ways off though isn't it isn't that like 2026 yeah yeah uh, i think i have one though i feel like that's the next cool one <laughs> Was there another Future Indianapolis dates. one in Indianapolis is cool city. Maybe I've heard good things about Indianapolis. Oh, okay. I have it. Okay. So 2023 is back to Dallas. I haven't heard great things about Dallas. Uh, yeah. I don't love Dallas either. I spent a lot of time there for work. If there's not much there. Uh, yeah. I mean like, yeah, I, I'm just, though. well, 2024, how old am I going to be? What What's the age for renting a car? 25. Oh, okay. I'll be 26 by that final four. So I'll be able to drive the rental car that we have, which was an issue in Tampa. So I, like, I feel like if I had a car and could like go places instead of having to Uber, like I would have enjoyed my time in Tampa more, but uh, it is what it is. 2024 is, wait, no, 2023. Okay. So I'll be 20, I'll be 25 in Dallas, but it works. Uh, 2024 is Cleveland, which sounds very unexciting, but Cleveland actually, actually heard isn't good that things. terrible. Yeah. I've never been and I feel like I've heard good things. So, okay. I went like the summer between my senior year and freshman year of college. Uh, I, I was only there for like a day, but 
the like downtown area was actually a lot nicer than I thought it was. Like I, we took a baseball road trip to Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and then Detroit. And like my image of Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh, um, Cleveland was that it was going to be like a totally rusted out, like rundown city. That's what Detroit was like. Detroit completely fit my expectations. It was terrible. Cleveland. Actually, I pretty thoroughly enjoyed Cleveland. We like before the Indians game, we were walking around and we were trying to find a place to eat. And someone recommended this like parrot bar or something. I forget the name of it. And it was like 21 only. And I was only 18 or whatever at that time. So we're walking away and this guy's like, Oh, you need some place to eat? Like come in here. And there's just the sketchiest looking door like you could ever see, like completely rusted, like a million stickers on it. Like did not have a lot of confidence going into that door that we were going to come out and you go in and it's just like really, really cool. Like blues bar. Like it was very great food. It was very cool. And then also the rock and roll hall of fame is the most overwhelming museum I have ever been in. It is just like five floors with like every single inch of something to look at. Like you basically just have to pick and choose what you stop and look at because it's so overwhelming, like great museum. That would be something good to spend like two days in for that final four. Okay. I'm looking forward to that one then. And then 2025, we have our penance in Tampa. (laughs) Maybe things improve by then. I'm not actually confident in that, but well, 2025, that's going to be AZ senior year. So I mean, we should probably just book the hotel now, get it downtown. (laughs) So at least you're close to the arena before they gouge all the prices. So I feel pretty confident they'll be at that one. And then 2026 is when they get to Phoenix. So I'm excited for Phoenix. Phoenix is a cool city. That'll be fun. It'll be a good, another golden avocara at like downtown Phoenix. There's not a ton there, but there's enough there, but there's so much good like hiking and stuff within like 20, 25 minutes. So I was just going to say, like, I imagine there's a ton of stuff to do. I, I have no concept of the Southwest. How far away is the Grand Canyon from Phoenix? Like that's like a three-hour drive. You're probably not doing that in between games. But I mean, like the thing is, that's always going to be the tail end of the season, and like the work, yeah, main after. So, like theoretically, you could finesse that into like a vacation, and just oh yes, yeah, you could definitely do it all one trip. I did it. My sister and I went to. Arizona like I think it was like right after I graduated she was still in school over like Christmas break it was actually whenever the men played at Arizona because we went to the game and we planned the trip around that game and then they lost oh, that anyway, game was <laughs> it was it was terrible but yeah we went we went all around because we st- we flew in and out of Phoenix but we went up to the Grand Canyon and um like Flagstaff and up that way and then went back down to Tucson where U of A is for the game so you can definitely kind of do it all in one trip it's just a lot of driving Right. And I feel like that's the best like vacationable destination that we have in those next, what is that? Seven years, six years. Like you can definitely do a lot in Phoenix. Whereas like Tampa, once you've seen Tampa, like what else are you going to go do? It's like, I mean, like as fast as possible. (laughs) I'm really hoping that like the twins are in town when Minneapolis is there and like it lines up with the work schedule and same thing with like the Rangers and Rays and who plays in Phoenix, the Diamondbacks. That would be fun to get those in for me personally, or just the other sports around. But yeah, no. So, I mean, that's not a terrible slate. Like I think Dallas and Tampa are the lowlights, but I still feel like it could be worse. 
I mean, yeah, Tampa it could, could be, be worse. Well, Tampa could Tampa be worse. Tampa doesn't, yeah. Why it goes back to Tampa? I don't know. I feel like it's more, it's not that it's that bad other than Tampa. It's just that, like, none of those places are, like, as exciting as New Orleans or San Antonio. And those are the two we don't get to go to. But anyways. Can we start a petition to just it. replace Tampa with the New Orleans please, one that we lost? Please. Like, come they on. Should. They really should. No one wants to go to Tampa. It sucks. I'm sad. I'll rest my case, but it really sucks. <laughs> or just like push everything back a year and like stick New Orleans in next year. Although, like, it also I'm... would have been thoroughly disappointing if UConn didn't get to the, the New Orleans Final Four. Like, I didn't, like, I honestly last year wasn't planning for UConn to get to New Orleans, so I hadn't booked anything. Yeah, I was going either way, so I was excited. I'm still upset about all the food that I was planning to eat that I'm not eating, so it's okay. Right. I also just haven't been on a plane since like february of last year and it's starting to get to me but anyway <laughs> i mean like i i feel like we're all in this boat but like uh, just i was so excited to be the person that graduated college and then just completely went off the grid for like three months as i traveled wow. various places and you know where i traveled for most of my summer after graduating college from my couch from- to my kitchen yep. <laughs> like even even now it's brutal it's like Okay, I've worked in my room, my tiny room all day. And my the like the highlight of my week is usually I'll go into town, get like something to eat at like Brugger's or like one of the other restaurants that I like, and then I'll drive to the river and eat it there and maybe drive around <laughs> town a little bit and then go home. That is the highlight of my week, which I just really kind of feel like underscores where we are right now. Yeah, I think the highlight of my week this far has been that my condo complex sent us an email today that people were had cited a bobcat in the, the complex. So I nice. spent my whole day working in front of a window trying to find the bobcat, but I didn't even see the bobcat. So it was pretty uneventful still, but there, there was a little bit of excitement. <laughs> I saw a bald eagle. What day was that? A couple of days or over the weekend. That was exciting. There's a lot of bald eagles in Glastonbury. Like, or maybe I've seen the same one, but I saw two like two weeks ago and then another one. So very exciting. I highly recommend seeing a bald eagle. It's pretty sick. Very cool. Well, if anyone's still listening to us at this point, <laughs> I feel like I'm impressed. We've just gone on a full tangent. <laughs> we have, we need something, we, we need a word for something, people to tweet at us to show that they're still listening. And I feel like it needs to be something related to Tampa being terrible. Like we've really got off the rails here. So like anyone who's listening is definitely pretty dedicated. Yeah, just uh, let us know how, how terrible Tampa is in our mentions. Because, yeah. yeah, please. No, no, we need like a phrase for pe- the people to tweet at us. And we need to get this phrase trending because the great thing is like, we'll retweet it and just go along with it. And anyone who's listening, who hasn't listened to this far is going to be so confused about what people are talking about. But everyone who has listened to this far is going to know exactly what people are talking about. (laughs) Like Tampa sucks seems too basic. We need something better than that. Hashtag cancel Tampa 25, 2025. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, so if you have made it this far, please tweet us. You can hit Megan at Megan Gower. You can tweet me at Daniel V. Connolly or comment this in the comment section of the blogger wherever you get the podcast, just anywhere. Hashtag cancel Tampa 2025. Just Thanks for wherever you get on this. Yep. <laughs> yes, you, 
to the five people that I imagine are still listening to us rambling at this point. You're the real ones. Well, <laughs> Megan, do you have any final thoughts on future sites for the NCAA tournament? I don't. I think I've exhausted my thoughts for the moment. Yeah, no, I think we've kind of run out. Well, that'll do it for this very entertaining episode of Chasing Perfection. You know where you can follow Megan. You know where you can follow me. Hashtag cancel Tampa 2025. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends. Read the Yukon blog in Store Central. Subscribe to the Yukon Women's Basketball Weekly. Megan, what do you got to close us out today? <laughs> um, I feel like I have anything else to add today. <laughs> I've given you enough of my thoughts for one, after, one evening, so <laughs> that's it. That's fair. That'll do it from us. Thank you for listening this far. <laughs> <laughs>